Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I don't know that I have to do anything else, so let's get the Bible open to Hebrews chapter 12. What do you say? Is there anything else I'm supposed to do? Or be or say? Oh, I will say this. How many of you are planning on going 1 o'clock today? You know, sneak home, change your clothes, get a little lunch, and then go over to the tent side at 1. Anybody planning on going over to help take down the tent, move some of the bales of hay and stuff out, and wrap up? Gary, you going for a little bit? Anybody else? I have a question. 1 o'clock, mm-hmm. Sure. Oh, yeah. There's always cords and things to move and, you know, little things to move back and forth. Yeah. One o'clock. And um, I want to say specifically, I miss thanking Greg openly about being involved in setting up and getting things ready. As we were sitting around with the pastors yesterday talking about uh, how things went and what what worked well and what didn't work well, that sort of thing, kind of a debriefing. Uh, my comments were centered around the fact that I think the setup and, and all the work that went into getting it ready for us to come there is that invisible work. I mean, you come and you kind of expect a chair to sit in. You expect a place to sit and look and lights. And that takes a lot of thought and a lot of work to put it together. And you were part of that team and, and uh, Gary and Pat McGee, of course, and others. And so thanks to all of you who were there and the hands-on at getting it ready. I mean, I've, I've never put up a tent, but today we could help strike a tent and uh, get it back in storage where it needs to go. And, uh, and then, again, if you can't go today at 1 on Monday at 9 a.m., they're going to be finishing out. So there'll be lots of opportunity to help there. Okay? Nobody digs like Greg. Nobody digs like Greg. <laughs> Nobody digs like Greg. <laughs> <laughs> So, Lord. I didn't realize it until I was out there talking to Greg and these other guys. You know, like you said, in Mexico, they just have to, you know, set it up there. These guys have to go through more rules and regulations yeah. and stipulations. And it's so ridiculous. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And they're out there with their tape measures and stuff. And this is all just to set up a tent. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's rigorous. It's uh, or they got it done. They even have to have safety lights. Last year they made us put in exit signs, and I thought exit signs on a tent. That's, I mean, if something goes. Anyway, you know, I mean, if you got in there, you probably know how to get out, right? Anyway, but but we're much safer. We lose less lives, and and we're doing better. Amen. It's possible. Hebrews chapter 12, we're, we're, we're marching through Hebrews. Hallelujah, it's a great book, a great book. All the books of the Bible are great books, but this one right now is a great book. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so, which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. 
My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily objection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best for them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down, and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people, and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Pardon me. And... Ed, is this cutting in and out again? A little bit? I mean, I feel like I can't move. Okay. I've got the other one, so I'll get the backup. I have a little microphone problems. Maybe it's just sometimes I just, you can't hear me. <laughs> that would be quite a, that would be like Jason Prince preaching in English and Spanish, huh? I could just preach in English and nothing. This morning I want to talk about the best discipline. How many of you love discipline? One. I got one hand on that. Two hands on that. I hope that at the end of this message you all say, I love discipline. Notice that most of our youth are not in the room. Listen to me here. The first verse and the second verse. Tell us that the cross, we sang all about the cross this morning. Lead me to the cross. We had pictures of the cross there. We were focused on it. The cross was the discipline and the chastening of God upon himself for the redemption of your life. Did you hear that? The cross was the discipline and chastening of God upon himself for the redemption of your life. He was so intent on being in relationship with you that he took upon himself the pain, the penalty, the punishment, the disaster of the cross. And these verses tell us that he, for the joy that was in front of him, The joy that was ahead, he endured the cross. In the moment, he despised the shame. 
Of course he would despise the shame. It wasn't his shame he was bearing. It was yours. It was mine. The shame that was upon him dying the death of a criminal and the brutality that was inflicted upon Jesus was to the extent that the Bible records for us that he was unrecognizable at the end of his whippings. By the time they nailed him to the cross, it wasn't the pretty crucifix picture we use. He was an unrecognizable man. They've, they've, this is kind of an aside, but I remember looking at this in a study that they took cadavers. You know what cadavers are? Dead bodies. And they inflicted upon those cadavers the same treatment that was given to Jesus. And by the time they were finished, organs were hanging out of the bodies. You've seen the passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson. And some want to say that was really Hollywoodized, if you will, and it certainly was. But it was probably the most explicit viewing of the beatings and the tortures of Christ that I've ever seen. It was, it was literally, for me, unbearable without sobbing. I'm very visual, and so to provide that kind of a look at it, for me, it was ex- that's why it's called excruciating. When pain is excruciating, it means out of the cross. Ex, out of, cruce, the cross. So you have excruciating pain that the symbolized is here. Jesus endured that for the joy that was ahead. The exhortation to us is that because of what we've already studied, Hebrews 11, I appreciate listening to Pastor Floyd's message along with all the other messages myself and Pastor Rob, Pastor Floyd talking about those who were in this race of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 and how they did not receive the prize. They saw it far off. They had it in view. And they ran with this same endurance, this same persistence, this same uh, giving of themselves over to the view that was ahead, but they never got their hands wrapped around it. In fact, at the end of chapter 11, it says, All these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. Ooh, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. They ran their race, they laid it down, they got a good testimony by faith, and now you and I are in the race. Then it starts out, therefore, referring back to chapter 11, we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What is it we're supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be running a race. Have you ever started something that you're really excited about and that zeal just comes up and you're really, you know, off you go. And then a week later, two weeks later... If it's done on January the 1st, then by February the 1st, you know, you're thinking about maybe next year. That's not endurance. There's a zeal that springs up. I was reading the story of a man who had an excavating and a um, a demolition business, and he worked real hard at getting his business up and running, clearing large piece of property and, and, and tearing down buildings and things. And so... His business finally took off, and he was able to provide for his family a nice little retreat kind of house out away from town. And it was 
old and antiqueish kind of Victorianish, if you will. And all the had windows all around the house that were in that that uh, fuzzy kind of cut glass and with the scrolling and stuff. And distorted the view as you looked through it. Just beautiful. And then uh, they had a little boy. His name was, let's see, who should we name? We should name him Butchie. I don't think we have any Butchies in here. We'll name him Butchie. His name is really Matthew. I always hate to pick on Matthew all the time. But Butchie was the love of their life. And uh, so he admired his dad. His dad would discipline him and love him. His dad goes off to work one day and mom's busy doing something. And Butchie grabs a bat and walks around the outside of the house and takes out every window he can reach of this entirely antique glass, irreplaceable stuff. Just By the time he gets around the front porch, mom's catching up with him like, what are you doing? He's four years old. This is this big beaming face. Because dad would take him to work. And all the guys on the job would sort of take care of him turn by turn. And anytime they were going to lower a house or demolish a building, the first thing they would do is they'd take long sticks or poles or whatever, go around the building and smash out all the windows. So that when they, the house came down, there weren't shards of glass flying everywhere. Little Mikey or little Matthew was butchy, whoever he is, <laughs> trying to protect people. It doesn't work. He was just taken after his dad with zeal. He said, I'm going to be just like him. Kind of zealous. Maybe not everything you need to know at the beginning of the race. When God calls us into the race, but we're zealous at the beginning, aren't we? Do you remember that first zeal you had when you came to Christ? When you finally surrendered? Maybe for some of you that was this week. You say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the best Christian anybody's ever seen. I'm going to be just like Jesus. The admonition, exhortation to us today is this this thing takes perseverance. This race takes long-term thinking. We're in it for life. It's got some hills. It's got some bumps. It's got some problems. It's more like the steeplechase. Sometimes you come around the corner and there's a jump and it's into a pile of mud. And you've got to get up and plow through that and keep going. What will keep us in this endurance run? Well, the first thing the Bible tells us is we're supposed to be looking to Jesus. This word, we've covered it before. Let me do it briefly again. It means in, in the, you know, the, the original language of the Bible, it means look up and away from everything else. That's the admonition of the singular word, looking unto Jesus. Look up and away from everything else. Get your focus on the goal. What's the goal? To be like Christ. To be Christ-like. To be His disciples. Isn't that what He said? Go into all the world and make disciples. Make disciplined. A disciple is mathetes. It means a disciplined follower of the lifestyle and teachings of another person. We're not called to disciple people to ourselves. We're not called to disciple people to a cult or a way of life. We're called to disciple people and help one another. That's why all those one another's are in the New Testament. Love one another, forgive one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, exhort one another daily. All those things are there because as we live this life out together, we're supposed to be prodding one another on to become like Christ. Discipling each one, encouraging each one, exhorting, correcting one another so that we come out looking like Christ. 
I love having people cheer me on. You know, don't you? Hey, like it when somebody says you're doing a great job? Hey, here's the test to take. Take a piece of paper sometime. Just draw a line down the middle. Put at the top of one column, teachers, my best teachers, and put over here my worst teachers. In, and pick any teacher you want. Grade school, high school, junior high, college, doesn't matter. Sunday school. Best teachers, worst teachers. You don't have a problem writing those lists. Right now you're thinking of a couple of names you could put. I would think of uh, Mrs. Lavender, my fifth grade teacher, sixth grade teacher. She was so fun. She was a wonderful teacher. She was the one that would wait uh, until somebody was sitting in front of the school one day honking, meep, 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 and it was incessant. Finally, she said, excuse me, class. And we had those old cloak rooms at the end of the thing. And she'd go in. She disappeared into the cloak room. And you heard this big wooden sash window. I'll be right out, honey. <laughs> and Hawkins stopped. And she was just that way. Why do I remember her? Because she was fun. And she came to my desk. And she helped me spell the word any one day. Because I just couldn't get it. Can you believe that? Sixth grade. My mind went blank. I stumbled to the desk. I said, I can't, I can't remember how to spell this word. What is it? Annie. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty thick, you know? <laughs> oh, Jeff, it's, let's sound it out. I said, I've been doing that for like ten minutes. It's not working. Can't see it. She helped me spell it. Always encouraging me. Over here on this side. Worst teachers. The ones that could have cared less about you. You know, whack you, bring you in front of the class, make a fool out of you. Love to just take their pen, F, circles around it, show it off. Right? I don't remember specifically a lot about what they taught me, nor do you. But we remember this. We remember they loved us. We remember they encouraged us. We remember they inspired us. And if we had the encouragement, the love, the attention, the inspiration, we would go back and learn anything we could from them. But if they didn't like us, they discouraged us, and they dissed us all the time and put us off and pushed us down, we didn't care what they were teaching us. We weren't going to learn it. God is in the business of encouraging us through His Word to stay in the race and to endure through the difficult times, so that we have our eyes on the goal. Jesus said for the joy that was before him. What was the joy? You. Think about it. You were the joy. He looked down time and said, I'm going to have that one and that one and that one and that one and that one. We're going to be in a relationship. We're going to, I'm going to answer their prayers. I'm going to walk through life with them. I'm going to bless them. I'm going to help them. And, and for all of that, and then he would look at the cross and say, I'll endure that. I'll despise the shame of it. It's not mine, but it's theirs. I'll bear it for them. And this is what helped Jesus endure the cross. We're called into the race. One of the things we need in order to endure is discipline. You know, if you were at the tent maze, you heard, and I mentioned a moment ago, Jason Friend gets up every day that he can wherever he's at, and he runs. Two miles a day, it's his discipline. I've talked with him about it. I know why he does it. And he is a disciplined man in the area of running. He's not a fanatic. But for his lifestyle, he needs to do that. And so does he wake up every morning and go, Oh boy, I'm going to run. just can't wait. Where's my shoes? I doubt it. Right? He has discipline, an orderly life that says, This is what I do, and this is what I will do, and this will help me in the long run of life. 
I will set up a discipline in my life that brings life to me. I will become a dynamic discipline of uh, disciple of running. We should be asking ourselves from time to time, what do I need in the area of personal discipline when it comes to my walk with Christ? When it comes to my running the race of becoming like Jesus, what disciplines do I need? Now, I can't answer for you. I could make up a few things. I could draw lists, probably ad infinitum, ad nauseum. We could draw up lists. And those things we would throw out the window and throw it and say, well, I tried that, doesn't work, tried that, doesn't work. There are some things we need to put in place that will keep us in the discipline of running the race with Christ. I think number one is learning about who He is. Not just in the distance. Not the historical figure of Jesus. But having the moment in our life on a daily basis where we're knowing him. Spending time with him. I look around the room here this morning. It's not hard to say. I see husbands and wives. And this is one of the challenges we face in our marriages. For those of you who are unmarried, it's just about other relationships. Your friendships. Your family members. You really don't get to know people until you're with them a lot. Right? We can. I've seen people go through our life groups. And... They last about, just just life group leaders, think of this. You can hide all about your life for about two years. But after two years, you can't hide it anymore. It's just the way it works. It's human relationships. A person could sit with you and put on and wear the mask and go through the systems for a couple of years. They can fool you. But after about two years... If they can't fool you any longer and no change has taken place, they will leave. They'll just move. They'll move on. And we as leaders often go, where did they go? Where's so-and-so? Where's so-and-so? They were getting too close to being known. How many women have been fooled into marrying some guy? Uh Uh-huh. This guy that was all... Yeah. I see that hand. (laughs) I'm sorry, Shirley. I was there when that happened. Yeah. Oh, that was funny. Uh, fooled by that rascal. Oh, that was really good. I appreciated that. I totally don't have a clue what I was saying. <laughs> oh gosh, that's funny. Now I'll start over. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 12. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Mm. Let me ask you this. Yeah, getting to know people in life groups and all that. But let me me just skip ahead, fast forward here. We don't have all day here, Pastor Jeff. We want to endure the race with Jesus, but we want to endure this Sunday with you. (laughs) Have you figured out what your joy is? Why are you in the race? Jesus knew what his was. Some of us have read those books by Stephen Covey, all those life management books, right? You know, First Things First and Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And Have you read some of those? Oh, they're good. They're good. One of the things he points out in there is 
One of the habits of successful people is beginning with the end in mind. So helpful. Such a simple thing. Where is it you're going? When you take a trip, you do that. You say, well, I'm going to, you know, as hopefully I will soon, Seattle. I'm going to go to Seattle. I'm going to begin with the end in mind. I want to know where I'm going to land. And I'll make my plans accordingly, whether I have to drive or take a train or plane or whatever I do to get there. I know where the end is. And I don't want to get lost in the middle. Jesus, the scripture tells us, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He ran the race with patience. He ran his uh, enduring race with the discipline. He had just as many opportunities as you and I do to succumb to temptation, to get off the path of life, to stray from the will of God. But he kept constantly saying things like, I only do what I see the Father do. I only speak what I hear the Father say. It's not my life, it's his I'm living out, right? He was focused. So we have to ask ourselves, what's the joy that we're looking for? Do we have our nose to the ground and we're just fumbling along in life? Or are we looking unto Jesus, who's the author and finisher, this version says, of our faith. I think it really reads in the the original, the author and finisher of faith. He began it and he ended it and he helps us live it. So if we're looking to him, he can explain to us what is our joy. And I'm sure it's multiple. It's not just one thing. But I think it will be similar. For me, it's this. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking at the end of my life, I want to do what the Proverbs say. I want to leave a legacy. I want to leave an inheritance to my children's children. I want to have Proverbs 17.6 at the top of my list of things. It says that the, the glory of children is their parents, but the glory of parents is their children's children. I'm looking to that third, second, third generation to come out living for Christ. I'm looking for that testimony that Jason gave us out of his book and out of other books about the lifestyle of Jonathan Edwards, who had all those pastors and preachers and governors and presidents or vice presidents in his lineage because he lived a holy and a godly life. I'm looking for something outside of myself to stay in place when I'm gone. How about you? See, that's a joyful thing. And when those moments, when the race gets tough and when the pressure's against us and the wind's blowing against us and it starts hailing in our faces, if you will, in this run that Jesus has called us to, whatever it is, whether life is failing us or health is failing us or or we're running into the depression wall or we're trying to self-medicate or whatever it is we're going through, pressing into, there's got to be something on the other side of that that we can see that says, I'm not done running yet. I've got a goal to reach. I know that I've often complained to God and shared with people that it seems like when you set a goal in life, you say, I'm going to run to here. I'm going to run with patience and endurance. And here you see there's the ribbon and you're pushing your chest out to go through it and God moves it. <laughs> he just pulls it back. He just like miraculously And now it's another couple of miles down and you say, hey, wait a second. That's not fair. He says, oh, buck up, kiddo. Come on. Run with endurance. Don't sprint to the finish unless you know it's the finish. Run with endurance. Run with patience. Begin with the end in mind. What is your joy? What is the joy that God's put in your heart and mind? What is it? It's got to be more than things on the planet. It's got to be more than a job or a paycheck. It's got to be bigger than, uh, you know, a Keo or an Ira or a house paid off. Those are all included, sure, but it's got to be bigger than the natural life. I think. Anybody agree? 
Okay. Think about it. And then decide, as this passage tells us, to take everything out of the way that hinders your running. That's a personal discipline. I don't need to do that. You know, some things we do are just unnecessary. They're not evil. They're unnecessary. So, you know, I recently I had a, a retinal branch arterial occlusion. I had to memorize that. <laughs> what that means is there's a little fork in the road in the veins inside my eyeball, and a piece of calcium got stuck in it. When it did, it cut off the blood flow to the upper section of my right eye, and so now I have a dead spot because everything works backwards down here in the bottom. So if I hold my hand like this and look at my middle finger, I don't see my little finger. It's blotted out. It's permanent damage. And as I sat in front of the retinal specialist and he looked in my eye, I went, hmm, hmm, you know how that goes. It's like, it's got a cannon of light going in there. You know, if it didn't hurt before, it does now. And he says, well, you need to know this is permanent. I went, what? I thought you were going to take a laser and go shoot it or something. And, you know, I thought there were always miracles available in this department. He said, no, it's just going to be that way. He said, but we can sure change the rest of your body so that wherever his brothers live, his cousins, his other little calcium deposits, we can get rid of them before one of them decides to take a journey to your brain. And you have a stroke. I said, okay, I'm real interested in that. <laughs> so my diet's changed considerably. I love broccoli. <laughs> Don't you? I mean, it's just one of your favorite foods, right? You just grab by the stalk and just chew away. I'm raw, raw as can be. You go, I love this stuff. Meat is a thing of the past. Some of you salivated when I said that. Really? That's terrible. You know what? In order for me to run my race, I have to discipline what I eat now. If I want to live any longer on the planet, if I want to reach the goals that God has set in front of me, there are some adjustments I have to make. There are things I can do personally. There are personal disciplines that I can put into my life and with the help of my wife, who feeds me. You know, it's always a surprise. Here, I packed you lunch. I go, oh boy. <laughs> Thanks, hon. I take this big thing and I get to work and I'm working away and I'm getting hungry and I slip the top and I go, oh, look. <laughs> Broccoli. <laughs> right on top. I'm not the only one you're just able to laugh at me because I'm standing in front. But I know there's a lot of us in the room that, you know, by now we're saying there are some adjustments we have to make because we have a greater joy, because we want to live a longer life, because we have more contributions to make, and we want more of Jesus to flood his life out there. So there are some disciplines we can put in place ourselves. But the first one is not about food. It's about knowing him. This is probably the hardest discipline for most of us. I think ladies have it better than men. But stopping long enough in life to just talk with God. Stopping. I don't have a stop button. It just doesn't exist. You know, all the buttons are there, but the stop button is dysfunctional. I, when I wake up, I start. I wake up, I go. I'm doing something immediately. I, God says, hey, can you stop and talk a while? Well, no, I'm too busy for you. How good is that answer, Grover? And then I hear this morning, maybe you heard this, I can get your attention. 
Now, I don't know if that was for you, but it was for me. And I find it interesting that God used my wife to speak that word to me. Wow, this is great. A little scary going home, but, you know. (laughs) Putting a discipline in my life to stop long enough to read his word and talk with him and allow him to talk back. To hear what he has to say. Because he knows me intimately. He knows me better than I know me. He knows what's ahead more than I know what's ahead. He knows how to prepare me for what's ahead, and I don't. I'm limited in my capabilities, and I'm dealing with an infinite and unlimited God who loves me so much that he gave his life up for me, that he endured this cross, and he said, this is because I want to be in relationship with you. It's got to be the tantamount important thing in our lives. But how many of you would be willing, boldly, to say it's still one of the hardest things for you to discipline in your life, is finding time. See, we don't find time. It's there all the time. We just have to carve it out. We say that I'm going to, just as much as, you know, using Jason's illustration of getting up every morning at 7.30, wherever he's at in the world, he straps on his outfit and his shoes, and he goes and he runs for two miles. It's just a discipline. Do we have the same discipline to get up, strap on our Bible, strap on our relationship with Jesus, and for whatever period of time is designated in your life, to say, I'm not going to do anything else. I don't have to have this. I don't have to have this done. God sees me in my scraggly hair and my funny beard and whatever it is I bring to the table. My hairy legs or whatever it is you girls deal with. I don't know. <laughs> but you've got to get past that stuff and say, God knows me in my, my worst condition so I can come any way I need to, but I've got to come. God, speak with me. Deal with me. And in those moments... The Hebrews that were receiving this letter were under persecution. They were maybe close to abandoning their, their newly found faith in Christ as Messiah. And this letter comes to them and says, Look, consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. I think when we're discouraged, it's because we got our eyes off the mark. Because our heart has been set aside from seeing the joy that's set before us. We've lost our bearings. And it's not that hard to get back. Even those who have walked away from God. I love this statement. Somebody else, I wish I could quote somebody on this. I can't. It's been said a lot. That no matter how far you walk away from God, it's only one step back. Because He's following you the whole time. He never gives up on us. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. So I'm going to forsake you. I'm going to walk off. Well, I guess I'm going with you. And when we finally decide to turn and come back to him, he's right there. One step back. We get discouraged in our souls. That's why we need to nurture our spirit. You know, it's spirit, soul, and body. We're triune. Boy, Jason used a big word. We're trichotomies. We're built like God. We're made in His image. And when we let our soul take charge, we've just demoted ourselves because we're spiritual first. You understand? Spirit, soul, body. We get our body and our soul lined up with what the Spirit says, then life works. But when we let ourselves into that discouraged place, then the soul is at risk. That's what's happening. That's when you listen to country music. 
And it's very soulish. It's very soulish. It'll speak to your, it'll speak to your mourning condition. Not M-O-R-N, M-O-U-R-N, mourning condition. I know. But it fits the bill better than almost anything there is. They were persecuted for their faith. And what did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5? He said, when you're persecuted for your faith, I wrote this down for memory. The note is right here. I wrote, because it came to mind, I wrote, happy are you when? I thought, i got to go make sure I look up the reference. I looked up the reference. It doesn't say anything about happy. It says blessed. And I thought, ooh, big difference. I can be blessed when I'm persecuted. I can be blessed when I'm going through the difficult time. doesn't mean I'm going to be happy. Happiness is temporal. It comes and goes all the time. Joy is resident. We're going to replace the microphone. We're going to take up an offering right now. <laughs> now, the Bible says in verse 7, in all of this conversation, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? This conversation in tandem to the cross and Jesus, that's why I wrote what I did, that the cross was the discipline and chastening of God upon himself for the redemption of your life. Jesus endured chastening. He was a son. Chastening, correction, discipline for your good. See, there's a difference between chastening and discipline and the word punishment. Punishment's when we get angry and we lock somebody in their room. Or we, or we just unleash on them. Punishment is basically going to jail. Go to jail. You're, un, you're not correctable in the moment, so we're just going to put you in a little iron box. And that's punishment. We're going to feed you funny foods and things like that. And that's, you're going to have to go through that. But what we're looking for in chastening and discipline that comes from God is correction. That leads to righteousness and peace, it says in these, two, in these verses. The end result of chastening that comes from God is righteousness and peace. What do you want in your life? I want righteousness. I want to be like Christ. I want to be in His image. I want to reflect who He is. I want to allow His life to flow through me and flow through you. I don't want it to be my life that people see. I want it to be the life of Christ. The one in Galatians 2.20 that I live now by the faith of the Son of God. He said he would live in me. If you open your heart, he knocks at the heart and says, if you open the door, my Father and I will come in. We'll live inside of you. We'll live our life out through you. You'll become Christians, which means little Christs. You become disciples of Jesus. And then when people see you, how will the world know that we're his disciples? By our love one for another. We're going to reflect life differently than most people around us. We should. We should be different. We should be very different. And in the long term of the race, we should be enduring with joy. Because his chastening comes on us. And when it does, he corrects us for, for uh, a better life. He corrects us for going the right direction. He brings us his discipline so that we come out better. And I'm still thinking about the burning bush. Because I'm not exactly sure how he's going to get my attention. We say, the Bible says we appreciated our earthly fathers because they gave us correction. That 
that led to uh, a better life. But that's a that's a vacancy in some people's homes. Some we come in out of a generation that didn't have it was a fatherless generation. Ours and the one after us, fatherless. There weren't any disciplines. Left to ourselves, left to our mothers. Thank God for our moms. But the Bible says if God disciplines you, then you have this guarantee. You are his son. You are his offspring. You are his direct child. And he's doing it because he loves you. He brings correction to you. It's because he loves you. And he's assuring you that you're a member of his household. You're not excluded. We should rejoice in that. Whatever correction comes from the father. Verse 11 says, no chastening seems to be joyful in the present. (laughs) Oh, goody. We don't say, oh, goody. It's not joyful in the present, but nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. We're being trained. We're being formed. We're being fashioned. We're being shaped. And for me, as I've already said, I'll use my my personal illustration. For me, it's because I'm looking down the road. Why is it important that I be disciplined by God? Why is it important that the life of Christ comes out through my life? It's not for my own good. I'm beyond that. It starts out that way. That's that early zeal of breaking out the windows because you want to be like death. It's like, Jesus, I'm going to be the best Christian ever. I came to Christ. I'm going to be the best one ever. And we kind of chisel out. And, and, but then we get into the long-term run, and we find out this is a race of endurance. And God's willing to work with us all the way through it. And then later on in life, we begin to see, you know what, it's not about me. It isn't about me anymore. I have offspring. I have children. They have children. This race is about how they come out. This is about being an example for Christ. It starts out with our own personal focus and zeal. But in the long run, we realize our life is affecting a lot of people around us. Our family members, our co-workers, our neighbors. And it's not just about whether my life is entirely pleasant or not. It's about how I go through it. It's about how I'm enduring the hardship. It's how I'm taking on the chastening of God that trains me to righteousness and peace. And the people around me should be able to see, you know, I've seen them go through the proverbial hell and high water. But they always come out with a smile. They always come out with joy. They always come through it with some understanding that God is greater than all their problems. I want to be like that. That's how we want to be known. That's what we want to see in our children. That's how we want to see our children's children think of us. And so we have to get into the race and run with endurance. God will use the adverse circumstances of our life. Whether He has generated them or not, He can use them. Right? Even if the enemy comes in like a flood. Maybe your, your situation isn't a burning bush. Maybe it's a burning house. As you stand in the street and watch your house go to ashes, you say, well, I guess God doesn't love me. See, that's a prosperity mindset that I'll always have everything I need and I'll never have any problems. And, you know, it's a gospel that's been preached around the world. That if you're okay and you're a person of faith, you'll never have any problems and you'll always have everything you need. Listen, I have to tell you, my experience does not come alongside that testimony. I love that preaching because that's what I want. I want happiness and joy and prosperity and health and nothing but the good. That's human nature. That's not what the Bible teaches. I mean, when I read Hebrews 11 and I see the guy, and we often think this is Isaiah, prophet Isaiah, sawed in half in a log. 
stuffed him in a hollow log and then cut the log in half. That's how he went to be with the Lord. Say, oh, joy. Where's the line? Can I sign up? No, we don't rush to that. But it's happened. And there's a man that saw the promise probably more clearly than I do. Here's a guy that carried through his own body and voice and spirit prophetic utterances of the Messiah that were going to come six, seven, eight hundred years after his life. But he saw it. Listen, I've prophesied. You see these things. The Spirit of God comes on you and gives you a word for other people. I see that. I get videos, if you will, in my mind of people's lives. Sometimes I don't want to see them. But nonetheless, Isaiah saw it. And the, and the Bible testifies that they saw what was coming, but they couldn't quite figure out, was it for them or was it for another generation? But they wanted to inquire about how, when was this going to happen. So Isaiah was fast-forwarded into the future, saw the Messiah, prophesied clearly about his birth, his death. Isaiah 53, his, his, his persecution, his whipping, his scourging for your benefit. He saw all of that. And yet he got cut in half and hauled along. And he never got his hands wrapped around it personally. But he ran his race with endurance and joy because of the joy that was way ahead of him. Hey, this might come in my generation. This might be for me. It was way beyond his children's 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 children. What keeps you in the race? Paul said this about himself. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He's exhorting us. Don't you know Verse nine or chapter 9, verse 24, 1 Corinthians. Don't you know that those who run in a race, they all run? But one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run this way, not with uncertainty. This is how I fight, not as somebody who's shadow boxing or just beating the air. I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I've preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. There are things we can do to bring ourselves into the discipline that's necessary. But I want to, you know, always want to say this. We're never going to really succeed unless we lean entirely into the grace of God. Into His ability to do it in us. I mean, we can go as far as we can and say, Eddie, I can't go any further. I've done all I can do, and it's not enough. I acknowledge that I am unable and incapable of going further. He says, that's okay. I'll carry you. I'll take you. I'll do the rest with you. I'll live my life out through you. I'll give you the inner capability that comes from the Spirit, not from your own tough work. We are required to do some things on our part, but ultimately God has to do His work through us through the life of Christ. Amen? He's the one that gives us the success. But Paul says, I'm not going to be a shadow boxer. I'm not going to run with uncertainty. I know where my goal is. I'm running in this direction. I'm going to run the long-term race. I'm going to fight not like a shadow boxer. I'm going to land some punches right where they need to go. I'm going to bring my own body under subjection. I'm going to say no to my body sometimes. I feel schizophrenic at times. How about you? Sometimes you're thinking, your body says, I want to go do this. You know? Hey, nowadays, I say, hey, I'd like a nice filet mignon. Right? My eyeball says, no, we don't. No? Little stroke fellows, little calcium deposits, little cholesterol guys go, no, we we don't do that anymore, Jeff. We don't do that anymore. Oh, yeah, we could do that today. We just slip a little bit. 
Well, how long do you want to be in the race? You know, eating that thing's not a sin, right? Eating that filet mignon is probably not a sin for me. Paul said, I can eat whatever I want. It's no problem. doesn't condemn me. But, but I'm not going to eat it and then try and run. Because it weighs me down. Let's lay aside the weights and the sins that so easily ensnare us. Some things are just weights. And we have to decide which ones those are. We have to ask God to show us. Which things are weights in my life? I, I don't even know how long has it been since we had television. Seven? When we... Seven, how old are you now? <laughs> I'm supposed to know. 31. So, what's that? How many years is that? 24 years. We haven't had television. And you're going, wow, he's so uninformed. <laughs> I sit around with people and they talk about, oh, that's that line off of Cheers or that's that song off of whatever. I go, I have no clue. <laughs> I mean, about the time we were getting rid of television was when somebody said, hey, what do you think of Dallas? Remember that? That's going back a ways. Who shot JR and all that stuff, right? Hey, what do you think of Dallas? I said, I heard it's a pretty nice city. <laughs> <laughs> like, where have you been? In a hole? I said, yeah, probably. I mean, why? Because for me, it is a weight. It's a weight that eats up my time, slows me down in my race. It feeds me with stuff I don't need to know and hear. There's other sources I can get news from, real news. I don't need... I'll tell you one thing I don't need is all the commercials. You know, commercials are written for five-year-olds. Come on, you're insulting yourself. Every time one comes on and you watch it, you're going, I'm ten. Feed me. I'm sorry, you can watch your television. I know, Super Bowl's a lot different. Those are written for three-year-olds. That's why we all love them. We can all get them. I get it! Oh, I get it! Psalm 119.67 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Think of that. Where does the affliction come from? Life will give you plenty. God can bring some your way. He can bring correction, discipline. But before I was corrected, before I was afflicted by things, I just went astray. The confines of discipline are good for us. They help us to endure in the race. If you want to jot down some Proverbs, I'll I'll give you just a few Proverbs. 1 verse 2. The, the reason for the Proverbs, which is why we love them, there's a nice discipline. One proverb for every day of the month. For every month, you have 31 days. You have plenty of Proverbs to do one every day. The Proverbs of the Solomon, of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to gain discipline. That's why they're there. 12.1 Whoever loves knowledge, whoever loves instruction, loves knowledge. He who hates correction <laughs> is stupid. That's what it says. This is the New King James Version. I guess we can't use this at our house because we don't say the S word. Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. <clears throat> That's hard.
13.24, parents, he who spares his rod hates his son. He who loves him disciplines him promptly. Now, that doesn't say punish them. It says discipline. Discipline's motive is always love and correction for righteousness and peace. Punishment is just to wail the tar out of them. That's where the rod is different. Some people say, oh, that's corporal punishment. I believe in corporal punishment. If that doesn't work, capital punishment's an option. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Don't, don't repeat me. Don't, don't quote me on that. 23.13 says, don't withhold correction from a child for a few, ooh, New King James, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. Wow. Deliver his soul from hell? I think that's worth doing. The rod of correction. The rod of discipline. The world wants to take it away from us. The Bible puts it squarely in our hands and says, use it for good. Use it for correction, not for punishment. Don't you injure your kids. Move to Ephesians. Don't exasperate your kids, fathers. That's not your job. Don't just well on because you're mad. You need to make a discipline in your life in the area of your own correction of children to say never do it in anger. Never do it when you're mad. Hold yourself. Say, put them somewhere. Say, you're going to sit in that chair until I'm not mad anymore. That's good enough. And, you know, when I come back tomorrow, <laughs> you better be sitting there. <laughs> However long it takes for me to get unangry. And then I'm going to devise, with God's help, the right discipline, the right correction that will take that bent out of you that's toward evil and help you learn righteousness and peace. My job is to make sure my kids come out good for Christ. That's an aside. A wise, if, if a wise father corrects his child for righteousness and peace, and God is our father, then wouldn't it be a wise son that receives the father's discipline? Okay, I'm going to read a list to you in just a, just a moment, and then I'll be done. I think I have to open this up to do it, because I couldn't print it this morning. This is my... Someday this will be smaller. Tablet. iPhone or something, maybe. There's a proverb that says that we should heed our father's instruction and listen to our mother's advice, right? 4.1, for example. Hear, my children, the instruction of a father. Give attention to no understanding. K-N-O-W, to know, understanding. Proverbs 1, 8, 9 says, My son, hear the instruction of your father and don't forsake the law of your mother, for there will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. There will be an adornment to you. On January the 2nd, 1993, I wrote a list for myself of my father's instruction and my mother's teaching. And I thought, I'm going to do this. I'm going to just write it down. What did they show me? What did they teach me? What is it I'm supposed to pay attention to? And that's not a big list. It's just a half a page. And my father's instruction. Work hard. Provide for your family. Love your wife above everything and everybody. Never drink alcohol. Respect authority. Discipline your children, corporal, with love. 
Have fun with your kids. Do it while you can. Enjoy them and do things together. Consider being part of Boy Scouts and or Girl Scouts or a similar organization. One of the great lessons my father taught me was don't let your flesh rule your spirit. Treat your inheritance with respect and honor. The honor that's due to those who earned it for you. Treat your inheritance with respect. My mother's teaching. Oh, by the way, did I mention that my dad was an alcoholic wife abuser? And that my mom grabbed four sons and left him when I was seven. These are the things he taught me. He didn't do any of them very well. But I still learned them from him. Never drink alcohol was one. Have fun with your kids. Do it while you can. We didn't have much fun. Don't let your flesh rule your spirit. Had he had some of those things really working in his life, I might have had a dad. My mother's teaching. Be willing to sacrifice. Do what it takes, not what is convenient or simply required. Love and enjoy people. Give everyone a chance. I tell you what, our house at Thanksgiving and Christmas, we had all the strays. Remember, Danny, we'd come, there'd always be somebody there that we had no idea who they were. And they were like three bubbles off a of plum and two bricks short of a full load or one taco short of a happy meal or something. You know, I mean, they were always just a little out there and they brought funny things for us to eat. Oh, anyway. But my mom says, hey, everybody deserves a chance. Everybody ought to be with somebody on the holiday. So, okay, it's going to be us this year. Don't steal from anyone. They won't steal from you. My mom ran an art gallery. And she had a front window display right at the front door. And in it, she had a multi-thousand dollar piece of art. I came by and one day to see her in the front. This is where she kept it on display. Whatever it was, she rotated that. I came in and the window was empty. I went and said, hey, there's nothing in the front window. She goes, yeah, I know. I said, well, will you change it? No, no. What happened? She goes, somebody... I said, what? Well, I just came out and it was gone. And then somebody walked right through the front door, lifted it, and walked away. And I said, well, did you call the police? Or, I mean, what are we going to do? She goes, oh, no. I'm not going to worry about it. I said, what? She goes, well, I don't steal from people. Therefore, people cannot steal from me. And I thought, has she been studying Christian science? Or? <laughs> I said, what? She goes, well, I don't steal from people. Therefore, people cannot steal from me. I said, Okay. All right. I left scratching my head. I came back the next day or two, and here it was, hanging in the front of the place. I walked in, and I said, hey, I see the the paintings back. She said, mm-hmm. That was about all she had to say. I said, well, she taught me, don't steal from anybody, and they can't steal from you. I mean, those people brought it back and rehung re- re- it. That thing must have just been so hot in their hands, they couldn't figure out how to do it. She taught me to pay attention to God. She taught me to love to give. Spend time on your grandchildren and money. (laughs) Be positive. Let your kids be responsible for themselves. Make time for family traditions and holiday celebrations. Let your family and friends, this was probably the most important thing my mom taught me right here. Let your family and friends know enough about you. 
so that when you are not around to help answer their questions, they'll still be able to know what you would say or do. I like those things. I used to keep that on a written note in my Bible. I was afraid I'd lose it, so I typed it out. Our Father loves us so much. Our Heavenly Father loves us so much that He's willing to teach us these kinds of things and correct us when we're off track. And Hebrews tells us that we should take joy in the very fact of knowing that when we're in chastening, don't forget the exhortation. He scourges every son whom he received. He chastens those that are his. It gives us the, the, uh, the confidence that we're his children when we come under his discipline. When he gets our attention, when we see the burning bush or the burning house, whatever it is, uh, it's because he cares enough to go out of his way to shape us and form us and train us to be like him. I want to be a disciple of Jesus, don't you? I want to be trained and equipped by the Word. I want to do as much as I can in my own self-discipline to put things in order so it can happen. But I'm, I want to take great joy in the very fact that there's a long race I'm in, that we're in it together, and that He is shaping us over and above what we can do. And therefore, we can throw ourselves into His grace and say, Lord, I've, I've just run this, I'm out of breath. My, my liver's crying for oxygen here. I can't go any further. And He says, that's okay. I can do it better than you. Let me live my life through you. Let me administer my grace and mercy to you that's new every morning. Let's give it another try. He never gives up on you. Amen? Father, this morning I thank you for your word. Thank you for taking us systematically through the book of Hebrews as best we've been able to do it. Lord, we pray that your blessing would be upon your own word, not ours. Lord, you'll take the things of your scripture and break them to us as, the, as they are the bread of life. Help us to eat freely of your word and to drink freely of your spirit and to spend time in your presence getting to know you. Thank you that you love us and you care so much about us that the joy that was set before you, you endured the cross. Help us to endure the things that we suffer with a longer view of life. Give us that pinpoint joy. We can set ahead of ourselves and say, I'm doing it for that reason. I'm running it for that finish line. And this temporal issue I'm in will not affect my long-term race. Lord, shape us. Give us encouragement. In Jesus' name. Amen. I know there are some of you that are maybe suffering still. or You've had issues happening in your life. You want somebody to pray with you. Let's do that. You know, you can be dismissed, but if you want us to pray with you or lay hands on you, there's plenty of leaders here, life group leaders, elders, and myself. And if you need healing in your body, we can anoint with oil and pray the prayer of faith. Just come, okay? Otherwise, have a great Sunday. You've got time to get lunch and change your clothes and be at the tent by one. If you want to go there, we could use your help. Okay. God bless you.